I would like to welcome you. Uh, I'm Nicholas Borneos of Capital Link. I'd like to welcome you all to the last, but definitely not the least of the sessions of uh, our Norway Maritime Forum. Today's uh, sessions have been primarily uh, focusing on shipping, of course, and on finance. Uh, the equity market, the bond market, uh, the bank finance market, alternative finance, and so on. And we are now concluding with a panel on the Norwegian Equity Analysts Roundtable. I will uh, turn it over to Magnus Halvorsen, the uh, CEO of 2020 Balkers. I think it's very fitting for a ship owner to moderate uh, an analyst panel. I would like to welcome uh, all, all of them, uh, Frode, Jorgen, Lars Bastian, Lucas, uh, and, and, and Peter. Thank you guys very much for joining. Uh, thank you for your help and support. And uh, all I will say is that uh, Norwegian banks have had a long-standing, unwavering commitment to the shipping industry. And part of that commitment is the quality and continued research that you guys have been providing. So I look forward to Magnus moderating this terrific panel. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Nicholas, and, and thank you for bringing Capital Link to Norway. I hope we can do this again next year in a physical setting. Um, and thank you for all the panelists for coming. Uh, I guess to pick up on your note as an introduction, you know, the Norwegian banks have shown a very steadfast commitment to shipping. Um, I guess we can always wonder whether it's because of true dedication or perhaps just the fact that there are few alternative industries in Norway, but nevertheless, we are very happy to have uh, the panel, I guess we could call it the last survivors among shipping analysts. Um, when we were here in New York, it pretty much had to be a Norwegian analyst panel, as most of your counterparts with a few honorable exceptions have found new industries or new careers over the last few years. Um, hopefully that's a contrarian indicator, suggesting that we're still closer to the bottom than the top of the market. Uh, but nevertheless, we're very happy to have you here. And I, I think the whole you know, industry of listed companies are very happy to have your support in good times and bad times. Um, it's an interesting time. And I, I guess what the difference a year makes. Um, a year ago, um, we were all, at least as companies, gasping for air. And I, I think it was a pretty tough sell to, to be a shipping analyst trying to find someone who would be interested in buying shipping companies. Um, with rates in, in many segments uh, below OPEX. Uh, and I, I think since then, of course, the market has been surprised to the upside. Um, um, I, I at least think about it as, as two legs. The first leg was perhaps the realization that the world would eventually get through COVID. Um, and, and I guess we, we, we got out of that distressed valuation scenario. Um, that being said, um, it seems that there's been an acceleration in the fundamentals in most segments uh, more recently and, and correspondingly for the first time in a long time, uh, it's been quite uh, interesting to be a shipping investor. And I think, you know, we have some of the brightest minds in the industry on this panel. You spend your time analyzing shipping stocks, but even you, it seems, were taken a bit by surprise. And I think maybe... Uh, the biggest surprise came in the dry bulk sector, and I'll, I'll use an example with the Golden Ocean, uh, which is the Norwegian uh, leading dry bulk company, uh, market cap-wise. Um, if you go back to New Year's Eve, uh, the stock was trading at 40, and at least looking at your price targets, which was around 50 kroner on average, it might have suggested you felt you know, things were pretty fairly valued. Um, today we're sitting here and the shares have doubled um, to 80 kroner and you all have price targets, I think more or less around 100 kroner. So that means two things. It means the market was positively surprised. Something happened that we maybe didn't see. And, and secondly, um, you still think there is some upside from here. So I thought it'd be interesting to go around the table and, and kind of get your thoughts on uh, on what, what's happened. Lucas, you had biggest adjustment to your price target since New Year's. Um, I think you had the price target for Gold Notion of 35, you're now at 90. Um, so can you talk a bit about what surprised you the most? And, uh, and do you still think that there's upside from here for investors looking at shipping? 
Yeah, sure. You know, I, I like to arrive when the party is already well underway. So uh, <laughs> that maybe uh, explains it a bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you're right. Uh, things uh, things have uh, things have moved fast, uh, and uh, uh, the year sort of started on a, on a cautionary note, and uh, then it took off, and uh, then it doesn't take a lot of time before uh, things are uh, propped up. But uh, you know, when it comes to surprises, I think that uh, we were all sort of surprised on the impact uh, that uh, you have seen uh, coming from China, right? With the steel margins hitting all-time high, uh, the steel prices uh, and iron ore prices skyrocketing, and uh, obviously that uh, that brought a lot of uh, momentum into the space. Uh, I think that some of that uh, momentum uh, may fade away in the short term. Uh, but it certainly sort of made uh, people uh, more, I would say, uh, constructive on uh, what, uh, in a little bit longer term perspective, was a uh, recovering market. Yeah. So Lars, do you do you agree with Lucas? It was mainly the, uh, I guess, the, the the commodity demand out of China that surprised this market. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, the entire. Uh, recovery of demand has been very surprising. I mean, the macro guys were always talking about the V-shaped recovery last year. Uh, and for the dry bulk market, that has certainly been the case. Uh, and I think it's probably not only been China. I mean, uh, as we went into 2021 and into the Chinese New Year's, when uh, when uh, Cape size uh, rates uh, rec- uh, re- uh, sorry, uh, corrected somewhat, uh, then uh, I think the fact that the smaller size segments, which obviously are less dependent on China, the fact that they didn't correct uh, is probably uh, some evidence that uh, this is not only China. And I think that uh, sort of widespread recovery in, in uh, economies uh, uh, of sort of the demand driving regions uh, has been probably the thing that surprised me the most, at least. Yeah. And what about Frode? You've been around, you've seen good times and bad times. What yeah. caught you by surprise here? No, I agree with uh, Lars that it's like broad-based recovery. It's quite evident, right? You see it in, uh, it's not just steel market and iron ore trades. You see it in uh, coal imports, grain, Everything is uh, up, right? And uh, uh, makes totally sense if you think about it. Like uh, the fiscal stimulus is uh, thrown around in big numbers, it uh, and it has a real uh, impact, right? So clearly, it's. Uh, I think like the what we learned is that it's not really about the inefficiencies in the fleet and uh, temporary shipping supply issues it's it's actually fundamental volume driven markets and that's what's been the most surprising i guess to most people yeah uh, and you jürgen well how, how, how have you seen this last couple of months yeah a, a lot has been said uh, but i think the the main surprise for us was in fact that it was the, the mid-sized bulker market that really kicked off the, the party and I think that's a, a very healthy sign of the underlying dry bulk demand and where it's coming from. Just keep in mind, you know, including grains, around 50% of all volumes carried on non bulkers are uh, other than coal and, and, and iron ore, uh, which are more, uh, more uh, China driven, perhaps. Uh, and once uh, the recovery story started to play out, you saw a tendency to this starting to happen maybe already in 2019. But other than that, you know, that um, the mid-size segment is running up ahead of the Cape size segment is not something you see a lot and should be quite encouraging, uh, just looking at the outlook from here. Okay. I mean, so far, sounds pretty optimistic. What about you, Peder? You had the lowest price target back in December, and, uh, and, and I don't think you actually are much higher now. Or does that mean you are negative and disagree with your colleagues on the panel? No, I, I think we we have to admit that we were caught, you know, massively by surprise. Um, you know, looking into the year, we, we had a positive view on the second half of the year, 
um, you know, the first half of the year, I think consensus was that, you know, the, although the order book was small, it was pretty front, you know, front end loaded. And, you know, the, the demand expectations were for the second half of the year, at least in our case. So I think that was the biggest surprise, how quickly things accelerated, as, as the other participant has, has mentioned. Um, one other factor that perhaps hasn't been mentioned is, you know, if, if you think of the, you know, the investor focus we've seen over the past year, you know, where ESG has been on everyone's lips and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, coal was, you know, six months ago, coal was the worst thing in the world. And, you know, suddenly the investor sentiment and interest and willingness to invest that has changed, right? So I think the, the, the quick shift in sentiment and willingness to, to go over in other sectors has also been a surprise. Okay. No, but that, that, that's interesting. So it sounds at least to me like you don't sometimes in shipping of course we get major spikes or dislocation that that leads to some temporary events but unless i know you you disagree it sounds like the consensus here at least is it's a pretty broad-based recovery and it's uh, and there are no no huge inefficiencies. just out of curiosity i mean shipping got a lot of headlines recently and the evergreen accident you know probably made the front page of every major newspaper did that actually have any impact on the market? Any of the markets you follow? Yeah, I think it certainly had a big impact on the container market, right? We have one percent of the volumes going through the Suez Canal, so I, um, you know, that was added on top of already, you know, major logistical issues elsewhere in the container uh, supply chain. So I think it had a, had a major major impact. Yeah, I I agree as well. If I can just shoot in, you know, it's important to. To note, I think it was quite interesting. Uh, usually, when the Suez Canal closes, it's a major event for the tanker space, and in this occasion, it was uh, the the container liners that really perhaps benefited the most. And uh, of course, that's related to how tight the market was initially when everything kicked off. Uh, little life in 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 tankers, despite that usually being somewhat of a, of an event. So that's um, an interesting observation on on the relative. Yeah, I I think one thing which I I, I'm a bit curious because it seems most of the, the things you are mentioning are related to the demand side. That's, of course, positive to have a, a broad-based recovery. I think, except from Lucas, everyone was more China-focused. Everyone felt this is, is driven by global demand. Um, but no one is mentioning the supply side. Does anyone have anything to add there? At least for some segments, we're looking at perhaps the lowest order book in um in three decades how, how important do you think that has been this year and, and will be going forward and uh, and do you think um you know now that markets are good are uh, are, are we going to see an ordering in any segments uh any over ordering eventually anyone want to take that Frode? So I, I think uh the fact that at least in in dry book i mean the previous question was uh, the biggest surprises in the dry book and i mean given how strong the markets have been uh, one of uh, the more recent big surprises is probably that we haven't seen uh, any ordering to mention at least uh, so uh, and and at least in our view uh, the fact that uh, the supply side will be muted will be key here and and i mean uh, uh, we're seeing uh, companies mentioning 2023, late 2023, and maybe even 2024 slots for uh, current discussions. And, and obviously, uh, that makes us uh, quite hopeful that uh, supply will at least not uh, uh, ruin, ruin the market in, in the very short term. Certainly. Yeah. Good. So I guess on, on the back of the, the improvements we've seen in fundamentals and, and, and to some, in some cases, skyrocketing share prices, we've also seen liquidity in the trading of, of shipping shares improve in some cases dramatically. And, and I just had a look today. I think some of the Norwegian shares are seeing volumes today that are four or five times what you had at the end of the year. Um, curious if you are seeing any notable trends or uh, changes in, in investor interest. And I guess you guys have a interesting perspective as you're close to your home market, where you, you typically find some investors that are always interested in shipping. You're probably also the first ones that get the call from the big funds abroad when they want to look at it. 
so, so Jürgen, has there been any evolution in, in the shareholder interest? Who's interested in terms of Norwegian versus international investors? And how do you see that going forward? Yeah, I, I think um, that's been uh, one of the things that has, has changed is that shipping once again is, is back on the agenda, uh, more or less. And of course, as you say, in local markets, I feel there's always some specialists willing to discuss uh, shipping stock, but uh, for the international names, not always uh, the case. And, and so, so in that respect, I'd say the delta in terms of who, who's picking up an interest is, uh, is uh, coming a lot from abroad. Uh, but in general, it's uh, it's a hard to, to, to come around that uh, it seems uh, shipping just in general is uh, is also gaining a lot of traction again uh, from being uh, not very interesting to a lot of investors for a long period of time, and that's of course encouraging for us. Yeah, and and is it are there any follow up with you still, Jürgen? Uh, is it is it generally hedge funds or are the, the remember the last cycle? Um, big long only funds were owning quite substantial parts of many shipping companies. Are they also starting to get interested? I think it, it, it's gaining interest. One of the issues here is that uh, liquidity is, is uh, not necessarily too high for many of the names. Uh, and, and that's an issue for some, uh, but I, but I think, uh, uh, you know, most of the speculative investments that were done, you know, the last cycle, uh, those that stood behind that aren't necessarily in a position to make the same mistakes again. Uh, and uh, so, so the, the client side has uh, to a degree uh, changed, uh, I, I think, and, and it's as it's gaining a bit more headlines, um, as we've discussed, and I think uh, it's just a broad-based increase in interest uh, also for, for, for long only, but, uh, but also more perhaps short-term uh, hedge fund players. Yeah, um, and, and, and you, Frode, I mean, do you see that it's, it's a broad-based interest, like you're going to say, or are there any sectors that are particularly uh, I guess in favor or, uh, or or picking investors' interest these days, and are there any that they simply just won't touch still? No, I think uh, it's been a lot of focus on dry bulk and tankers uh, and containers. Uh, so we've had a lot of uh, investor calls recently, like we, and it's been very well attended. So I think it's. Uh, a lot of interest uh, picking up now, especially from the US, I would say. Um, it's typically like uh, every five years or so, it is, uh, we hear from some of the old names uh, or hedge funds coming in and looking at, at the shipping, and now they're back. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, people are digging hard into the details and uh, looking at dry bulk, tankers, containers. That's my feeling at the moment at least yeah um and, and i guess that that's a good transition to to another question so what what are the investors focusing on when when they're calling and um, uh you say digging into details um are they focused on the earnings of these companies or or the net asset values um well, what is it that that you think ticks their boxes these days peter maybe you can take that no, I, I think it's um, just to take it one step back. I think it's been a bit of a change. So, you know, in the in the early innings of, you know, after COVID, container was obviously the hot, you know, became hot quite quickly. Uh, now I would say, you know, dry bulk is obviously on top of everyone's agenda. And tankers has been, you know, tankers tend to always be be focused on for some, you know, it's, it's a big sector. But um, in terms of how these investors look at things, I, you know, it's a combination. I think a lot of the U.S. investors, who are you know the, our main speaking partners uh, at the moment, um, are, are focused on both. But they maybe have a you know a bigger inclination to focus on earnings than you know maybe Norwegian or analysts uh, have, who tend to maybe focus more on the NAV approach, which you know in a way is, is two two sides of the same coin. Um, but American investors seems very focused on the earnings side of things. Yeah. I guess that that's almost a topic by itself that we can come back to a bit later. Um, uh, but another one I want to touch on is, um, I, I think a case has been made that you know 
shipping is not very interesting in a world where everyone has been focusing on green stocks and, and ESG. Uh, and, and it's clear that there's more interest in shipping these days, but how focused are the investors that you're talking to uh, with the ESG aspect? I mean, as one example, uh, we have EU taxonomy coming uh, and, and some of you have, have done reports on it. And the way I understand at least is uh, if you are carrying um, hydrocarbons or fossil fuels as a cargo, uh, you can never get get the score on EU taxonomy. Uh, so are there people calling you, Lucas, saying I want to look at shipping because supply demand looks interesting, but it has to be um, people who don't carry fossil fuels? Yeah, I think that uh, sort of uh, if you uh, if you take a step back uh, and uh, and see sort of the uh, increase in the interest in shipping, I think also it has to do with uh, last year or at the end of last year you have this uh, you had this green tsunami where uh, everything uh, that was even remotely green was uh, being funded uh, without a problem. Uh, now that has sort of uh, that momentum has evaporated a little bit and uh, people are taking a new view. They are talking about uh, cyclicality and uh, suddenly they have a sector which is uh, actually uh, making money and uh, then it uh, then it sounds uh, sort of uh, compelling and it's and it's coming sort of out of a you could almost say a decade long uh, downturn. So uh, for some for some it's compelling and. Uh, then obviously uh, you see you have the ESG aspect, uh, which is which is gaining traction, uh, and I think uh, the companies uh, have done uh, some serious job on that the last two years because uh, it's uh, no longer something that uh, you can hide under the table, and uh, I, I think it sort of varies a bit. Uh, you have some investors who have actively. Uh, walked away from it because of the exposure towards hydrocarbons in uh, in any form uh, whereas uh, some uh, sort of still see uh, the rationale for being invested uh, but uh, are maybe uh, more demanding uh, with regards to disclosures or compliance with the rules which uh, over time I think uh, will only get stricter and uh, enforced in, in a sort of a faster and, uh, and more, uh, and more uh, I would say, uh, uh, compliant manner. Hmm. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think you are definitely seeing investors paying more uh, attention uh, and, and want to be aware of what they're investing in environmentally. What about uh, governance? And, and this has also often been, I guess, an excuse by investors not to invest in shipping. Uh, is there much focus on corporate governance, um, you know, third-party management, these type of things? Or, uh, or do people don't really care as, as long as the cycle is going up? Um, Lars, uh, any views on that? Well, I think uh, I think as long as the cycle uh, is going up, uh, the focus is is uh, less on on uh, governance. But uh, but but I, but I agree with what uh, Lucas said, and I think generally on uh, ESG, probably uh, the long only institutional investors they tend to focus uh, a lot on the E, obviously, but. Uh, but uh, the G is maybe more important for smaller private uh, investors and, and, and they focus maybe more on sort of fee leakages and so on. So, so you always get questions, but now that the markets are so strong, I, I feel that the focus is less uh, on, on that. That's at least my uh, impression uh, these days. Yeah. And 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 how much um, how how much are are investors focusing on the upcoming regulations? Because we are seeing some um, some rather dramatic changes likely to take place. I guess we'll we'll know after the IMO meeting, which is coming up shortly. Uh, are are people looking at EEXI um, and and CII and 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 asking for? I guess analysis that goes a little bit out of uh, of just looking at valuations. Are are people 
look, looking at all to make sure that they're investing in future-proof fleets. Um, I don't know if anyone have done uh, much work on that, but Jürgen, any, any views or any, any input? Sure. Um, definitely interest in the subject, particularly when you're talking about the XI and, and such from, from 2023 onwards. I, I think it serves perhaps more as a backdrop to the uh, to the underlying fundamentals and how things are set to develop on a sector level uh, as of yet, at least that's my perception, talking to investors rather than specifics on, on, on a company by company basis necessarily. Uh, so that's, uh, but that's definitely one of the factors that works in and makes, um, I think, investing in shipping uh, perhaps a lot more interesting now than it has been uh, for some time. Uh, so, so, uh, so yes, there is focus, but I think more on an aggregate level and the effects more on the supply and demand side as of yet. We're still waiting for the regulations to, to, be, um, to be decided on specifically uh, by, by next month. So that will be uh, interesting to see. Yeah. So, so I guess, I mean, part of this um, perhaps should be for you guys to, to give some advice to people how to invest in the sector. And, and I think someone mentioned earlier that the U.S. investors are a little bit more cash flow focused than you, you find in Norwegian counterparts. Uh, what about you guys when you are analyzing companies and, and you're trying to make a view for the future? Um, number one, do you agree that, that, that everyone on this panel is more NAV focused and cash flow focused? Uh, and, 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 and I guess what will be the most important driver of, of the share prices going forward, the development in asset values or, or cash flows? Of course, they move together to some extent. Um, but I still think it's interesting and also whether your approach to valuation um, changes depending on, on where we are in the cycle. Uh, I think I'd like to go around the table on, on, on this one and, 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 and let you talk a bit freely. I guess, well, how, how should people value shipping stocks? Um, Jürgen. Yeah, I, uh, I guess uh, part of that relates to us being, uh, as you start off saying uh, on, this, uh, on this panel, that uh, Norwegian analysts usually have been a lot around for a long time, and a lot of that time you're not facing companies with any earnings to talk about, so it's uh, good to talk about NAVs instead. Uh, and that's, uh, that's been, I guess, where we're coming from. Uh, but now as you're uh, you're looking ahead and earnings are in place and there's more interest on, uh, as has been mentioned, from international investors looking through the cycle uh, and looking at cash generation and, and yields uh, rather than NAV, uh, that, that changes somewhat. So uh, in our view, it's a combination. I think uh, you have uh, some times that are um, quite special, as for instance in, in the container segment right now, where uh, I think it's natural to have a view at what sort of the normalized valuation here, um, and then you consider how long is this cycle going to last and how much cash is that going to generate. So at least from our perspective, it's, um, it, it's something that changes uh, a bit and a combination of both earnings and underlying assets, uh, although they are uh, tightly connected, of course, uh, the, the valuation of the underlying assets as well. Yeah. So, Peter, do, do you agree or do you have any other recipes for for navigating valuations and shipping no i think jürgen makes a good point in terms of you know the lack of earnings makes you focus on nav but i think nav is you know a very good tool to use you know when trying to to time the trough of the market right so you can look at where asset values bottomed out and and kind of look at the historical discounts and premiums to to nav um, but as you kind of progress, I think you need to incorporate some, some cash flow metrics into your valuation. Um, so, so no, I completely second what, uh, what the Jürgen said. Yeah. And, and, and you other guys, uh, Lucas, what, what's your approach to finding value in shipping? No, that's hard work, but, uh, <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, sort of, uh, the same uh, as, as has already been mentioned and i think that uh, over time we have sort of seen uh, different uh, approaches being applied uh, i think that uh, we have sort of seen that uh, maybe investors are now less willing uh, to price a shipping company uh, with the volatility earnings on a dividend yield which uh, might have been possible possible 10 15 years ago we'll see if that comes back uh, if we have a sort of a strong cycle 
but uh, it sort of uh, makes the with the NAV approach you always have a firm ground on uh, where you sort of uh, where you know uh, what you would get uh, if you were able to sell those vessels at least uh, in a theoretical sense so uh, that makes it sort of a, a, a bit more uh, protective in a downward scenario and then uh, if things uh, starts looking better, then uh, obviously uh, you move and uh, look at the potential for earnings. Uh, having in the back of uh, your head what what is sort of the uh, what is the normal earnings capacity of each particular company. So uh, I think uh, I think a combo is uh, what everybody uh, goes with. Okay. If I could add to that as well, just because uh, it's it's quite interesting, just looking historically at shipping, it's of course a very volatile space to be, uh, and uh, a lot of interest is in huge fortunes being made, and I guess a lot of that is done uh, looking at NAVs and trying to forecast when the asset values start to turn up. Uh, so it's a, it's been sort of an, an asset investing uh, play uh, in order to time those cycles, I think, and people looking at you know double digit, um, high double digit returns uh, on their equity investment rather than looking at you know 10 to 15 percent dividend yields, just relating to how uh, how intrinsically volatile the business has been over time. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it 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 seems very rational to uh, to. Look at NAVs at least in, in the low point of the cycle. Um, but Frode, is there a risk if you get too stuck on the NAVs that you that you're looking in the rear view mirror in the, in the cycle moving upwards, where asset values might be moving quicker than broker quotes, and where you, you tend to forget if you're looking at last quarter's balance, the cash that's been generated in between. Um, um, uh, sorry. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you uh, bring up a good point. Uh, but I think you should, I think at the moment, there's a combination of somebody else said. Um, people look at NEV, like forward NEV, uh, including cash flow. That's typically one conservative approach. You take the current asset values and then you say you have like a forecast on, on rates for the next year or so. And then you look at what's the NEV in one year's time. That's one common approach. Um, and of course, I think uh, uh, you should also look at where the cash and cash returns are, right? So if you look at the broker quotes today and you look at the day rates, one-year time charter rates today, on a CAPE, uh, which is roughly 30,000 per day, if you plug that in, then you can get 20% cash and cash return. And historically it's been between 11 and 12%, right? So uh, it, it, it tells you that asset values are going up, right? So it's, it's, it's very fair to assume some type of asset appreciation. And so that's a common uh, approach to evaluation, of course. So people are listening and uh, appreciating, you know, what, what is the next likely asset value and what, what is the NEV at that point? Uh, but as you alluded to, I think, like, if you look at the underlying earnings, uh, you could look at 20-year average earnings, which I, I would call mid-cycle earnings. And then, then you can compare what's the earnings or EPS using those type of uh, uh, rates, right? So, so if you plug in mid-cycle VLCC rates of 40,000 today, that gives you some type of uh, goalpost at least. Uh, over time, you need 40,000 per day to invest in a VLCC. So over time, rates have to go up to that level. And then you can ask, what, what are these companies earning at that earnings level? So that's, uh, I think like if, if you are in a low point in the cycle, that, that is a natural um, target to, to look at. And uh, so you, you definitely need to be forward looking and you can't really look at the current NAV uh, as you said, that would be probably looking in the rear view mirror, right? Yeah. No, I think, I mean, we, we've talked about how we were surprised. We've talked about the current and, and you even have told people how they should value shipping shares. So so let's try to, to look a bit forward. And, uh, uh, and Frode, I'll, I'll stay on you because uh, you were one of the shipping analysts that were active and you were around um in in the boom of 2003 to 2009 and of course a lot of this you know 
what we've seen in shipping recently has been about um, coming up from a 10-year depression, more or less. But we are increasingly hearing people bringing out the S-word, supercycle, both in commodities and, and shipping. And, and again, Frode, you saw uh, the previous supercycle. Uh, are we about to enter another one? And, and if so, what similarities or differences do you see now versus then? Ah, that's a good question. I mean, what well, it's a new super cycle, not uh, in commodities, I, I presume, right? It's uh, that's difficult to say. Like, uh, what's the definition of super cycle? It's probably a very long, like a decade long bull run in commodities. I'm not sure if that is the case now. You definitely had that super cycle from 2003 until 2008, uh, but that was driven by China and that growth. Uh, of course, you could argue that we are, because of ESG, etc. people are less willing to invest in new mining, uh, so that could constrain production. Um, but I don't see any new China at the moment, right? So, uh, of course, you could, in some minerals, in battery minerals, it's probably some very long-term cycles ahead of us. But in my view, I think you should definitely look more on uh, what I call the shipyard cycle, right? Uh, so, uh, because that is really about asset in inflation. Uh, it's linked to what we talked about earlier, right? But in that same bull run from 2003 to 2008 or nine, you had um, asset values consistently appreciating. And it was because new orders came in, which were a lot more than the shipyard industry could handle. And since that time, you only had two periods where you could really compare, right? Back in 2013 and 14. At that point, people were willing to order a lot of ships uh, and orders into the yards were a lot higher than the capacity to build ships. and that led to higher backlogs at the yards and that were allowing the yards to uh, hike prices. And that basically lifts the whole asset value curves. And so even if uh, the markets were weak, you saw NEVs improve. And you see the similarity today where people are starting to order a lot of ships. And year to date, we are well above shipyard capacity. So the order backlogs are expanding again, and that's leading to higher new build prices and again, lifting uh, asset values. For instance, in tanker, tanker market, where you have had very bad rates, but still the asset values are up and the NEVs are up and the stocks are up. So it's similarity. And, uh, and when I look ahead, uh, I see that the total order books are very low still. Right uh, in dry bulk, it's less than six percent order book compared to the fleet. And even if you factor in containers, it's the world order book in in, in any shipping segment is just uh, around eight percent. So it's still like twenty five year low order books. And we know that because of the new fuel and uh, carbon emissions, etc., coming up, there's going to be a lot of replacement of ships. So that that is. Uh, likely to expand that what I call shipyard cycle. So I think that is interesting, uh, more interesting than whether we are in a super cycle in the commodities or not. Yeah, no, and, and I think the question was was most of whether we're in the super cycle for, for shipping with the, uh, with commodities okay. in parentheses. Um, but but you bring out some good points. I mean, of course, no no cycle looks exactly the same, and and I think everyone probably agrees there's a lot of similarities. And now, from what you saw in the early two thousands, um, I think you point out that you don't see another China, which I guess would be the, the big one on the demand side. Um, another thing that happened last supercycle was that we saw a lot of build up in in yard capacity. Um, and I, I know, Peter, you guys have also focused quite a bit on the yards. Could that be, I guess, the positive delta from, from, from the last time we had a similar setup in shipping? Uh, or do you think that yards are going to be built in 
uh, in beaches and, and, and be funded all over the place once prices are high enough? I, I think uh, I'm leading towards the latter. Um, but I, I think there's you know, a big difference. If, if you look at, if you take DSME for an example, um, you know, they used to have uh, the majority of their backlog or their ordering take used to be um, on the offshore side, right? So they obviously shut some of that down, but I, I still think there is capacity, but it takes obviously time. So a lot, of, a lot of things could happen on the uh, on the asset side, you know, before we get uh, built up capacity to meet potential new orders, as uh, as Frodo says, to meet uh, meet the new requirements. So um, I, I unfortunately think that over time, if the prices are right, capacity will will come back. But where, where, where uh, because that that is probably one of the bigger risks if you are in the super cycle camp. Um, you know, a lot more ships being built is, is clearly what tends to ruin most cycles. But but where do you see that capacity? Are you talking about capacity in existing yards or are you talking about new yards being built? Because there's been uh, a lot of uh, yards, particularly in, in China, that are no longer around and, and also where the land has been rezoned for, for all the uses. So, so where is it you see this capacity coming from? No, and, I, I think... How, how quickly will it come on? It's difficult to say. I, I don't know exactly how quickly it will come back, but I think, you know, um, if you think of, of what's happened in the past, and I, I, you know, you make some good points in terms of capacity being shut down, and most likely, you know, some of it for some of it for good. But I think, you know, if there's if there's uh, if the capital is flowing into shipbuilding again and the margins are are strong, then you know there will be capacity somewhere. Uh, but, you know, I, I think you make a good point in terms of that they might be more restricted this time around than what was the case, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess just looking at the time here, let's, uh, let's, let's move on a bit. Um, I guess I'd like to ask everyone, um, you are analyst, you make recommendations, this is your golden opportunity. Um, 30 seconds what's your for each of you what's your top sector pick and worst sector pick for the next year and, and why um starting with lars uh, so we still uh, like uh, dry bulk for for uh, the top uh, sector pick i mean uh, fleet growth will be low we think that uh, given uh, predictions for uh, gdp growth the demand side uh, will also uh, be uh, very healthy. And also, if, if you look at forward NAVs, uh, it's it's not like uh, it's uh, fully priced yet in our view. So even though it's uh, maybe priced at uh, 1.2, 1.3 times uh, current NAVs, the discount is probably more like 30%, uh, uh, one and a half, two years down the road. So uh, yeah, uh, the dry book sector for the top pick. And um, I think uh, for the tanker segment, uh, too much optimism is uh, priced in at the moment. I mean, if you look at the uh, oil market predictions, then uh, OPEC will probably produce around 28 million barrels of crude in, in Q4 this year. That's uh, about 1 million barrels shy of, uh, of uh, 2019, Q4 2019 production. Fleet is up by seven eight percent in the meantime so uh price that uh, eight to ten times uh, 2022 earnings at thirty five thousand dollars per day for the vls i think the risk reward is not particularly good in the tanker space at the moment okay um so lars says buy more bulker sell tankers uh jürgen what do you think what, where would you place your money uh, I we like uh, we still like LPG, so the VLGC space I think looks very attractive. Uh, just considering the the current valuation, uh, the fundamental outlook um, in the next couple of years, and um, and uh, yeah, the current valuation. The only scare there is really the order book, but I think there's a, a whole lot of regulatory pressure coming into effect in that space once you look to to 2023, and I think that keeps it interesting. Um, in terms of the, the worst pick, I'd have to highlight uh, containers uh, where we are waiting for the, uh, the, the correction, uh, essentially. And, and what's going to drive that correction? 
adjusted normalizational things. Uh, looking at the general trade levels, I think, uh, and, and, and the volumes, uh, they're not in place to keep this thing afloat for, for very long. And I think that's a consensus view as well. So perhaps uh, not too deviating, but, um, but still uh, looking at how uh, certain stocks are priced at the moment, they're reflecting much more of a positive view than we have. Yeah. And, and Peter, what, what, what is Fernley's recipe for success from now in the year forward? It's a long way to look a year forward in these volatile times, but uh, I think if I have to put on the longer lenses here, um, I think I would uh, say uh, say tankers with a one year plus perspective. Um, I think you know we're going to get support on the asset values just from what we recently discussed in terms of the yards, steel prices rising and and you know increasing backlog at the yards, and, and you know it's a it's a good option on the recovery in into 2022. Um, in terms of the worst sectors, we don't really have any, you know, obvious shorts. I guess one we could highlight that has maybe run, you know, way past our bull case is uh, it's not necessarily purely shipping based uh, Chenier, which you know has had a very good run. That you know, I, I think it's uh, getting uh, pretty uh, fully fully priced here. Okay, specific advice there, Frode. Well, what is Clarkson's, the world's largest ship broker? What should investors do with their money? Buy tankers. I think it's a very simple case. I mean, if you look back historically, each time OPE goes from cutting production to raising output again, you make money in tankers. And uh, I like to often compare it to 2003, 2002, 2003, because we had the same low fleet growth now as back then, uh, basically below 2%. And in, in late 2002, OPEC increased output by 1.5 million barrels per day. And the rates went from 20 to 70,000 per day over just a few months. Uh, this time around, we know that OPEC plus basically has cut 7.5 million barrels per day. And depending on your view on oil demand, I think most of that will come back at some point. Uh, our case is like, between three and four could come back the next six months. So, but within the next 12 months, I think all the seven and a half million production that is now voluntarily held back will come back to, uh, to the market. And that is basically 10% on uh, utilization. So if you look at, if all those seven and a half million barrels come back, their rate will be going from current levels of 15 to more than 100,000 per day. That's a very uh, easy bet in my view. That's the hot topic. Yeah, that sounds quite exciting. What about, uh, is there anything to be negative on here and going forward? It's hard to be negative when we, we have this positive view on this, especially on the IMO 2023. We didn't cover that very much, but it's, going to lead to slow steaming, right? So uh, if you talk to DNV, et cetera, they're talking about one knot speed reduction across any shipping segment. And that's between five and 6% on utilization immediately. Uh, so that's even in, even in container, uh, you will have very good help from that level. But purely on valuation, I would, the only thing I don't have buy on is Maersk which is pure loan valuation. It's already very fairly priced. Yeah, so you agree a bit with your colleague at DMB there. And, and lastly, Lucas, what is ABG's best recommendations, long and short? Yeah, I would just say, you know, that the one year is a really long horizon in, in shipping. So, uh, but in the essence of time, I, I think I'm just going to say, uh, um, maybe use some uh, movie titles or movie quotes. So I think on the container side, which would be the short, that would be as good as it gets. And then uh, on the long side, uh, I would say LNG, uh, quoting uh, everybody be cool, this is a robbery, right? So. <laughs> I, yeah, I like the catchy titles. It probably makes your clients open the research. Um, so I, I think we're getting towards the end, but. Um, 
you know, shipping tends to be never be average, uh, you know, and, and, and we, we, when things turn, we often get some bold numbers. Frode threw out a bold statement. He sees VLCC rates going to 100,000 a day. So uh, slightly as an invitation to Nicholas as well. I hope that this um, Norwegian capital link can become a tradition. So on the assumption that we'll, we'll have a panel a year from now, I'll, I'll ask everyone to make a prediction. Um, so what will be the peak uh, Cape size and VLCC rate within the next year? Um, and what will be the value of a five-year-old Cape size uh, a year from now, uh, Lucas? Okay, then uh, starting with the rates, Cape average 21, max 44, VLCC average 23, max 44. Make it simple for you. Okay, I'll write this down. Um, and um, and Lars. Uh, peak VLCC rates forty, average twenty four. Uh, peak Cape fifty, average thirty. Okay, Frode. Uh, Peak VLCC 100 and peak Cape 50. Uh, and the asset values. Um, five year old Cape should be 52. Exact. Uh, VLCC 85. Five year old. Yeah. And, and, and what about you, DMBS? So, so the ship broker who's selling ships is very bullish. He's telling his clients to go and when the West Coast rates will be high. What about the sober bank? What do you predict? Yeah, sure. So on the asset values, then to start off, let's say mid forties for the Cape. So say say or say forty seven, uh, and for VLCC, let's say seventy four to turn that around. Uh, and in terms of, uh, of rates, um, peak rates for capes, uh, I'd say mid 40s, so around 45. Um, and the peak for the VLCC is uh, not too far off from the same space, I think. So 40, 47, I feel lucky. Okay, good. And, and Peter, you're the last one. All right, we'll start with the rates. So VLCC peak 65, average 35. Um, Cape peak 40. Average 26, uh, five year VL uh, 78, and five year Cape at 46. Well, thank you. So we've now had the, the, the retrospective look back. We've, we've learned how to analyze shipping companies and we've gotten some, some bold predictions for where to place your money for the next year. I think with that, we'll wrap it up. And, and a special thanks to, to Nicholas and his team for for doing Capital Link in Norway. Um, and we, we hope to see you next year. Well, I reciprocate uh, the thank yous uh, to you, uh, Magnus, and to uh, our panelists. Thank you very much for a great discussion. We actually exceeded the time, but uh, we had the opportunity to go into more detail, which was terrific. We plan to do this every year. Now I have one more incentive to do it, uh, so we can go back and check what we said this year. So Excellent. thank you again. It's been a great two-day period, and uh, I have to say I'm delighted uh, and privileged with the reception that uh, our forum has gotten. So we look forward to next year, and tremendous thanks to all of you. Thank you. Thank you so much to everyone. Thank you.